0: We've been looking at the idea of being a rebel. Looking at the life of Jesus and how Jesus' life didn't line up with what most people thought it should. And three weeks ago, we looked at one specific thing. What did did Jesus do? That's two weeks ago. What's the first one? Jesus did what? That's week number two. He chose the wrong crowd. Yes. What about week number one? He changed the rules. Yes, exactly. You got Yeah, you're close, you're close. We looked at how he changed the rules. How Jesus said I not come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And how he helped or tried to help the religious leaders see that they were so focused on carrying out the letter of the law that they forgot about the intent of the law, that it was to understand and know who God was and know his grace and his mercy. And then 2 weeks ago, yes, we talked about choosing the wrong crowd. How Jesus when you look at his life Jesus spent a lot of time with people that everybody else told him he shouldn't spend time with. And how as Christians, we say we follow Christ, we're called to do the same thing. We're called to spend time around people that your friends, your parents, maybe even people at church would tell you, yeah, you don't really want to be around those people. And last week, what did we look at? Jesus did what? What's that? Wow, You got it in your notes there. Oh, man, he's excited. Yeah. Jesus challenged authority. He challenged the authority of the religious leaders. Because they were talking to him about things how you're not supposed to work on Sundays and, and Jesus called him out and said, You know what, is it is it wrong to heal somebody to do good on a Sunday? Again, he's challenging the authority they had through the law. And see, Jesus, he wasn't doing all these things just, just to defy everybody. He was doing it because he was trying to help the people then understand that he was there to show who God really was and what God's intent was when he gave those laws and helped them understand that the way that they were living them wasn't necessarily the way God intended them. And tonight we're going to talk about something else Jesus did. I posted it on Facebook. Did anybody see that? Tombstones. There are tombstones. Yeah. Something something that Jesus did that I'm willing to bet most of us don't do is he chased the grave. <laughs> like you weren't sure what I was saying for a second there. He chased the grave. If you look at Jesus' life, every single thing he did, every single step he took, was leading him to the cross. He knew that from day one. That's where he was going. And you see, now we, we probably don't do that very often. I don't know about you guys, but I'm not a huge risk taker. I'll take some risks. Look at me like that. I'll take some risks. You know, I'll, I'll jump off the side of a mountain as long as I'm strapped in. I'll ride a roller coaster that will probably make me throw up. You know, I'll do some things. But most of the time, we're going to stay away from things that are going to bring us closer to death. In fact, most of us will even just stay out of graveyards altogether. Because the idea of dying, the idea of chasing the grave is something that doesn't appeal to most of us and most of the population but there are some people that it appeals very greatly to. In fact, I wanted to show you this video. It's just a couple minutes long. But look at what some of these people do in their pursuit of chasing the grave. Go ahead and show that, Mr. Billy. In that video, I don't, are there some things that y'all would try? Yeah? Okay, some of you would, some of you wouldn't. I don't know that I would do... What's that? Okay. Now see, every single one of those, every single one of those, yeah, they look really cool, but you know what? And every single one of those, each of those people take the risk of hurting themselves very badly, if not dying. I don't know if you saw it, the one scene where the guy rode off the side of the mountain on his bike, where it had the little Red Bull symbol, and then it showed him on the ground again, when you watch it up close, there's a huge gap where he's not touching any ground coming down the side of that mountain. But you see, I think these people are on to something. When we talk about Jesus and we talk about how he was a rebel and he did things that, that other people wouldn't do, Jesus Christ chased the grave. And that's exactly what these people in this video were doing. They're chasing the grave because they're willing to do things that's going to bring them within inches of death just for the sheer fact of doing it. Whereas you and I, we might avoid that, they might be on to something. You see, that's the kind of life that that Jesus led. If you follow his life, you see from the moment that he was born, from the moment we're born, from the very first breath we take, we're on our way to death. And I know that rain makes it sound like it's going to happen a lot sooner, doesn't it? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Every breath that we take, guys, takes us one step closer to death. Did you know that? Right now, while you're getting older, you physically sitting here, you're dying. I, I know, that's a very morbid thought, isn't it? But you know what? That's the reality. Micah, quit holding your breath. <laughs> and as that happens, we have a choice to make. We can either do everything we can to hold it off, to stay back and stay safe, or we can do what Jesus did and we can chase the grave. Now see, Jesus wasn't necessarily doing all of the things you saw in this video. He's not doing bike flips and riding skateboards and surfing and jumping off of the sides of mountains. But, he was chasing the grave. Because from the first breath he took, To the last breath he took. Jesus' whole goal was to die on the cross. And every word he spoke, every decision he made, everything he did was leading him to that point. And he understood that from the very beginning. Now you do need to understand this. Jesus was fully God and Jesus was fully human. As God, as God, Jesus knew why he was here. And that's why he made the decisions he made. That's why he did the things he did. That's why he preached the way he preached. He knew what his purpose was as God. But we also need to remember he was 100% human as well as 100% God. And being 100% human, I don't know that Jesus necessarily wanted to physically die either. You can go all the way back and see in the Garden of Gethsemane. You look at Jesus. Jesus could have stopped This whole process at any time. He was God. At any point in time, he could have stopped the whole arrest, the trial, the crucifixion. Jesus could have said, no, I'm not doing it. If you would, please pay attention. But he didn't do that. In fact, here's what I want you to look at. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to open it. We're going to look at Luke 22 tonight. We're going to look, starting at Jesus, after he's been arrested. Jesus has been in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus has been arrested by the Roman soldiers. And Jesus has been taken before the Sanhedrin. He's been taken before the religious leaders and the Pharisees. And they put him on trial. And look at what happens here. As he's going through this, remember, at any point in time in what we're about to read, Jesus could have said, no, this is going to stop now. But watch what happens. Starting in verse 63 of Luke 22, here's what he says. Or it says, Now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him as they beat him. They also blindfolded him and kept asking him, Prophesy, who is it that struck you? And they said many other things against him, blaspheming him. He's standing there, probably kneeling there, and he's getting beaten. He's getting hit. He's getting slapped. Now, are we going to stand there and take that from somebody? No. And we don't have the power of God that Jesus Christ has. And yet He does nothing. And then it keeps going in the next verse. Verse 66 says, When day came, the assembly of the elders of the people gathered together, both chief priests and scribes, and they led him away to their council, and they said, If you are the Christ, tell us. But He said to them, if I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. So they all said, Are you the Son of God then? He said to them, You say that I am. Then they said, What further testimony do we need? We have heard it ourselves from his own lips. Jesus, God in the flesh, is standing there, he's been beaten, he's being accused of being a liar. If I'm in this situation, I'm doing everything I can to defend myself and stop this from happening, because I don't want to die. That's not what Jesus does. Thank God Jesus is not you or I. Because what Jesus does is he sits there and he lets every single bit of this happen, because Jesus knows where it's leading. His goal, His purpose is to end up on that cross for the sake of you and I and all humanity. And because that's His goal and His purpose, He is chasing that grave. He is chasing that tomb that they're going to put Him in for three days. But He was still 100% human. Understand that. I don't think Jesus wanted to die as a human. Look at His prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. It says in Luke 22, verse 42 saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. You see, Jesus is saying a prayer. He's in the garden. He's on his knees. He's asked some of the disciples to come pray with him. And as he separates himself, it says that he's spending time in prayer. And he asks God if there is any way, God, if it's in any way possible, let this cup pass from me. God, if there is any way that I don't have to die, that's what that means. If there's any other possible way that your will can be accomplished and I don't have to go through this, let it happen. But then the God side takes over. He says, but your will is the one that needs to be done. You see, Jesus had an understanding that it wasn't his life that he was living. It was God's life that he was living. He knew from the beginning, from the very moment he took his first breath, that he was going to the grave and he was going for the purpose that God intended. And even though that human side, that flesh side that would tell you and I, we need to preserve our life, we need to make it last as long as humanly possible, even though that's crying out here in the garden, Jesus still says, no, God, I want your will to be done. You see, Jesus, He understood where He was going. He could have stopped every single bit of this at any moment. Some of you who've, who've been to the camp at Snowbird, we're going this summer. You remember the skit that they did, I think it was two years ago, where they, they have this guy dressed up as Jesus, and they bring him in, and he's bloody, and they take him, and they beat him, and they start to nail him to the cross, and all of a sudden he just says, No! They're not worth it. And he steps down and walks off the stage. What if that had happened? What if that had been Jesus' attitude? What if his attitude was to preserve his life and everything he could for as long as possible? We'd be in a world of trouble. But you see, Jesus didn't do that. And because he didn't do that, he calls us to follow him. Now understand, at this point, when all this is happening, when he's standing before these religious leaders, understand what he's gone through. He's been beaten. And I've described this to some of you before, but I'll describe it again. They take him and they kneel him over a block of wood and they take a whip. But it's not just a regular whip. It's a whip that has a bunch of little leather fingers at the tip, little leather straps. And on each one of those straps is a piece of wood, or a piece of bone, or a piece of metal, or something that is going to tear up flesh every single time it hits. That's called scourging. And they beat him. I believe, if I remember the number correctly, I think it was, was it 20 lashes? What's that? 29. nine. Twenty. I think 30 lashes, I'd have to go back and look at I apologize for not doing that ahead of time. I believe they determined that 30 lashes with one of these whips... Would kill a man. And he got 29. Right up to the edge. Without killing him. Every time those little fingers come up. They hit the back. And those little pieces of metal. And wood. And bone. And whatever else they had tied to it. When that hits flesh. That doesn't just slide off. It grabs. And then every time they pull that whip back. It brings flesh with it. And it happens over and over. And over and over. And then they take a robe and they put it on him. While his back is like that, after they've beaten him, because they don't take him to the infirmary and doctor him up and make sure he's okay for the next phase. No, they take him straight to it. And they put a robe on his back. And they put a crown of thorns on his head. And we're not talking little rosebush thorns. We're talking, historical research talks about how they're probably one inch long thorns. And it says they press it into his head. And as they're mocking him and slapping him, it says that they take that robe and they rip it off his back. Now, I don't know about you guys, but if you've ever had a bandage on an open, nasty, bloody spot, when it dries and you take it off, it hurts. And we're talking about his entire back. This is what Jesus has been through before he ever gets to this first interaction that I just read you guys. That's what he's just experienced because he's chasing the grave. And then comes the crucifixion. <laughs> That's even more gruesome. If you don't know anything about the crucifixion, you basically, the way you died was you suffocated in your own bodily fluids. Because as you're hanging there, let's start with that. They nailed him to a cross. You know, we see all the pictures where Jesus has the holes in his palms. Well, see, there's a problem with that. Because if you put nails through somebody's palms, and the only way you could breathe on the cross, they would do your arms up above you. And if you've ever tried to do this for a while and breathe, it gets real hard to take a deep breath. So you would have to push yourself up and pull yourself up on those nails. So if you put a nail here, there's nothing but flesh. Eventually, that's just going to rip out. Well, they don't want the criminals falling off the cross, So historical research tells us that this is what they meant when they said the hands. They'd nail it right here at the lower part of the wrist so that that bone of your hand would stop. So every time you're pulling up, that's what you're pulling up with. And pushing up on that nail that's in your feet. And as you're there, that is so painful, but it gets to the point where you can't breathe because your arms are above you. And over time, as your arms are above you, your lungs start to fill with fluid. And you suffocate because eventually it's so extraordinarily painful you can't pull yourself up anymore to breathe. And now some criminals, some of the people they crucified, they could last a long time that way. So they would actually come along and they would break their legs so they couldn't push themselves up anymore. That didn't happen to Jesus because they determined he was dead before that. But that's what he went through. From the moment he was born... That's where he knew he was headed. That's what he knew he was going to experience. He's God. God is omniscient. God knows everything. God knows your life and where it's going. He certainly knew what was going to happen when he came to earth as Jesus Christ. He chased the grave. And he did that for every single one of us. But you see... He tried to help the disciples understand that where he was headed and what he was getting ready to do is the exact same thing that we're supposed to do. Now, granted, you may not be arrested. You may not be beaten. You may not be hung on a cross. I hope not. I don't think they do that anywhere anymore. But you know what? You might have to take some risks. You might have to do some challenging things you might have to be willing to give up some things in your life so that you can follow Christ the way he's called you to follow him. That's what Jesus told the disciples. Way back in Luke 18, after he's been preaching and talking to the disciples, you've got Jesus talking to a ruler. And it says right here in Luke 18, verse 18, And a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. Now let me stop right there. Or let me go to the next verses. And he said, all these I have kept from my youth. Now a lot of times we think following Jesus Christ and following what God wants us to do is that right there. It's following the list of rules. Okay, I did this. I didn't do this. Uh, I might have thought about doing that, but I didn't do it. And that's the way we measure our devotion to Christ. How many times did we read our Bible? How many times were we in church? Did we do that secret sin that we hope nobody finds out about? Oh, we didn't do that last week, so it's okay. We're doing better. And that's the way we measure our relationship with Christ. But you see, that's not the measure that God uses. Look at what he says next here. In verse 22, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack... Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. You see, this this rich young ruler, he came to Christ and he said, hey, I've done this, 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 this and this. I'm a good Christian. What else do I need to do? And Jesus says, well, that's great. Go sell everything. In other words, give up what you prize. You see, he, was known as the, he wasn't just a young ruler, he's called the rich young ruler. His possessions, he walks away sad because money was important to him. Things were important to him. And when Jesus says, that's what I want you to give up for me, he goes away sad. Because he's not willing to give it all up and chase the grave the way Christ calls us to. You see, that may be hard for every single one of us, but what he wanted to do and help him understand is that he had to be willing and ready to risk it all for the call of Jesus Christ. We do too. You see, we have a lot of stuff. We have a lot of things. And a lot of times we think, you know what, if I had a little bit more money, then I could give more money to the church and I could help people. You know what? If I had nicer clothes, then I could take my old clothes and I could give them to people and I could show the love of Christ that way. And we think that if we had more or if we had different, then we'd be better Christians. But that's not the life that Christ calls us to. There's nothing wrong with those things. If God has blessed you and your family with those things, that's awesome. Use them to bless other people. But he's saying those things can't be your focus. If Jesus Christ, if his life was his focus, every single one of us would still be practicing the Old Testament system of sacrifice and we'd be going to hell. Because we'd have to do it over and over and over and over and over. See, that wasn't Jesus' mindset. He was willing to give everything so that we could know God. And he wants us to be willing to give everything so that we can know God. Look at what it says in Matthew 16, verse 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world? And forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? He tells us we don't need any more than we already have. We have everything we need to live a life that honors him. We have everything we need to follow him. We don't need more things. We don't need more stuff. We don't need more money. And the things that we have, we have to be willing to give it all back to him everything think about this for a second if I were to ask you what is the one thing you prize most and it may be different for everybody in this room what is the one thing that if God said okay I need you to give up that what would it be in your life maybe it's your family maybe it's a boyfriend or girlfriend Maybe it's money, maybe it's cars, maybe it's sports. It could be one of a thousand different things, I don't know. But would you be willing to give up that to follow Christ? You see, that's what he's calling us to, a willingness to give up whatever. We've been blessed with so many things. And a lot of times we ask, okay, God, what is your will for my life? We're asking the wrong question. The question should be, God, what is the will what is your will for the life you've given me that I'm supposed to be living for you? You see, because it's not our life. It's not ours. Every breath you take, you take because God has put you on a planet with an atmosphere that has the right amount of oxygen and other gases in the air so you can breathe. The reason you can walk is because God has made your spine as straight as He's made it and given you the ability to stand upright and move your feet and walk. Your very life, your heart beats because God made it beat. Everything we have, He's given to us. Are we willing to give it back to Him? Are you willing to give up something that he asks for. You see, Paul, Paul writes a lot of great stuff in Scripture. And you guys are probably familiar with Galatians 2.20. Can anybody say it? Anybody? From memory? Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer... Can you say it, Lindsay? Oh, come on. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now you got it. You had time to find it and read it. Good job. But you know what? Yeah, it was on the screen too. Oh, see. Sometimes I'm just testing to see if you're paying attention. But you know what? When Paul wrote that, guys, when we're a new creation in Christ, means he created us we belong to him every part of us if we say that jesus christ died on the cross for us he died for our sins and we've asked him to forgive us he has made us something new and that something new belongs to god we don't necessarily like to think about that we don't like to admit it sometimes but that's what it means And a lot of us, we've consented to that with our heads. Okay, I know that. I know what that means, but that's where it stops. It never penetrates here. It never penetrates our heart and the way that we live our life. It never penetrates the way that we interact with people. It never penetrates the idea when God said, hey, that's causing a problem in your life. I need you to give that over to me. And we say, no, God, I got this one. I can handle it. But that's exactly what he's calling us to do. To be willing to give up every single thing. That's what Jesus Christ did. Jesus Christ chased the grave from the moment he was born to the moment he died. That was his goal. My question to you tonight is are you willing to do that? I'm not asking you to die. But are you willing to give everything to God? I give you, for, for instance, my kids, I love my kids. I got two beautiful boys and one beautiful girl. And I would do anything for them. But you know what? At the end of the day, they're not my kids. No matter what I would plan for them, no matter what hopes and dreams I would have for them, they're not mine. They're God's. And Lord willing, this never happens if God decided to take them sooner than I want him to. They're gods. I'm sitting here tearing up just thinking about that. That's not, that's not cool. But you know what? That's what it is. My wife, I want the best for her. My home, I want a nice home. And I have one. But you know what? They're not mine. They're God's. What is it that you cherish most? What is it that you prize more than anything in this world? And are you willing to give it up if God calls you to do so? Jesus Christ lived his life with abandon. Knowing where he was going and everything he did, everything he said pointed in that direction. What about our life? You know you're going to die one day. The question is, what are you going to do for God between now and then? Are you willing to chase the grave? Are you willing to live with that reckless abandon the way Jesus Christ did and said, you know what, I'm giving it all to God. Wherever he calls me, whatever he wants me to do, however he wants me to do it, I'm going to do it. But see, I want to ask you tonight if you're willing to start small. On that piece of paper that you have in your seat, you may or may not have taken notes in it. There's a tombstone on the front and it says, rip, rest in peace. I asked you a while back to think, what is the one thing? What is the one thing you cherish most? What is the one thing that if somebody said, I need you to give that up, would you be willing to? And I want to ask you, (laughs) I want to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes for a minute because I want you to talk to God about this. If you don't know what that is, let's just spend a minute in quiet and ask him to show you. And then here's what I want to challenge you to do. If, and this is only if you want to, if you know what that thing is, Are you willing to give it over to God? Are you willing to give it up so that you can live a life that honors Him? Because I'm telling you right now, if that is a priority over your relationship with Christ, then you're not chasing Christ, you're chasing that. And that is the thing you're serving, and that is the thing you're worshiping. And if you know what that is and you're willing to give that up for God, I want to challenge you right now. Write it down on that tombstone. And then don't leave that piece of paper in here when you leave tonight. Take it with you and put it somewhere that you're going to see it. And when you see it, if you're willing to do what God's called you to do, Ask him to give you the strength to do it. You know what? My family, I don't want anything to happen to my family ever. But I also know <laughs> if God decided he wanted them, I've got to be willing to let him have them. Doesn't mean it'll happen, but I've got to be willing to. Are you willing to do that tonight? god we God, we come before you, and god i don't I don't even I have a hard time preaching a message like this God, because it's it's so hard to think of how how much you could require of us and how much you do require of us, but God, I pray right now, God, that you will help each one of us. To live a life, Lord, where we we are chasing the grave, God. Where we are doing everything we can to fulfill the purpose and the calling that you have given us as ones who have been forgiven by the death and resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. And God, I pray for each person in here. God, if if there is anything standing in the way of any of our relationships with you, God that you will show us what that is. And God, give us the heart and the willingness to give it back to you. Even if you never take it away, God, just the understanding that it's yours if you want it. God, we do love you. And God, we thank you for every way that you have blessed our lives. I pray now that as we stand up to sing, uh, if if there's anybody in here and, um, and you just want somebody to pray with you about whatever it is. You don't even have to tell me or tell Miss Diana or tell Miss Kathleen. Just come up and say, hey, can you pray for me? I want to challenge you to, to get up as everybody stands to sing and walk to the back of the room, and we'll pray for you. We'll pray with you. God, we love you and we thank you.